All right. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, we were talking, we're working our way through the small called articles. And remember, what's the most important chief article of the small called articles? It's the, the center of everything. And if, if a theology or a doctrine conflicts with it, we reject that doctrine or theology. What's that? Yes. Our, the main point of everything that we believe, teach, and confess is Jesus Christ crucified and risen to forgive our sins. And when a theology or a doctrine goes against that, then we throw that doctrine or theology out. And that's what's going to happen here in the small called articles. So we were beginning to talk about that in terms of the mass, meaning the idea that in the Lord's Supper, we are offering a sacrifice, re-offering, representing a sacrifice to forgive someone's sins. That's why masses were said for the dead. Or, or that's why you know, they had all the priests along the sides of the, uh, the church in the small altars saying masses all day long. That's why they had to make a rule that said you can only say one mass a day <laughs> um, because the other ones after that didn't count. Um, that's why there's all this exchange of money going on because they believe that in the mass, forgiveness of sins is earned uh, or, or distributed, maybe, independently of by the eating and the drinking, which is what we would say. Now, do you guys remember us talking about that? Okay, good. All right, so we're going to pick up then after that, because Luther in the Small Called Articles says, um, he, he says there's more that comes along with the mass, right? If the mass is a ship, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that follows along in its wake. And we have to reject these things too because they also take away from the teaching of Jesus Christ crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins. And so we're going to pick up there in verse, uh, verse 11, paragraph 11, uh, and that's where we're going to start. Um, so let's go ahead. If somebody would read 11 and then someone else... Go ahead and read 12, and that's where we'll keep on going. Do we want to start over here this time behind me? Sure. Let's do it. That sounds way. good. You want to start there? Sure. <laughs> okay. In addition to all this, this dragon's tail, I mean the mass, has begotten of numerous vermin brood of manifold idolatries. <laughs> want to read 12 then also? with the chief article which teaches 
that only Christ and not the works of men are to help separate souls. Not to mention the fact that nothing has been divinely commanded or enjoined upon us concerning the dead. Therefore, all this may be safely admitted, even if it were no error and idolatry. All right, what's purgatory? A place to pay for your sins when? Um, after you die. After you die. It's like a one-way street, and it's like the process by which you go from your poor, miserable, sinful nature here to the holy, righteous, uh, uncorrupted nature of eternity in heaven. And in it, all the guilt and shame that you hadn't paid for by penance in your earthly life is taken away. Okay? Um, purged from you. How, um, how long could one expect to be in purgatory by the Catholic view of the time of Luther? Anybody know? Yes, thousands of years range. Um, and of course, it's different for every single person. You know, um, Ella might be so pure and holy that she can just skip purgatory. She might even do so many good works in her life that some of her good works can be charged to my account and I don't have to go to purgatory for as long. Um, whereas somebody like the vicar could be there for tens of thousands of years. Millions even, which is why it's so important for you now to pray for the vicar so that your prayers can count and, and reduce time for him in purgatory. Okay, this is the understanding that was believed by the bulk of Christians uh, at that time. What's the problem with it? It's not biblical. There's no place in the Bible that talks about purgatory. Okay, we can come up with purgatory and then find a few verses that maybe we could twist to say there's a purgatory, right? But there's nothing that clearly says it anywhere. In fact, what scripture says when you die, what's it say? What's that? You sleep and you go to heaven or... You go to hell. Does scripture ever talk about third place, purgatory? No. Okay. Um, he also says, besides the fact that it's not scriptural, who does it change or who does it take the focus off of? Jesus. And how does it take the focus off of Jesus? Right, and that's, that's the whole point, right? They would never say that Jesus didn't die for your sins and that they're forgiven, but they would say that in addition to Jesus dying for your sins, you have to make penance. It's forgiven in the sense that you get to go to heaven, 
But you have to do some stuff first to purge away your sin. And that changes who Jesus is, doesn't it? We believe that Jesus bled and died so that we could go to heaven, so that the thief on the cross, Jesus could look at him and say, surely today you will be with me in paradise. Right? He didn't say, uh, well, I'm glad that you believe and I'm dying for your sins, but you've lived kind of a crappy life. So after two million years of purging, then you get to be with me in paradise. I mean, that's not quite as good a promise, is it? So it changes who Jesus is if there's something you have to accomplish after you die. And when we believe that that's the case, it changes all the other things in the church also. You see here, what's he say about masses? In the, the medieval Catholic church, masses are mostly for who? The dead. What's Jesus say? It's for the living, for, for you, for forgiveness of your sins, not for getting people out of purgatory and into heaven. Um, all the other things that he mentions there as well, All Souls Day, All Saints Day is what we call it, uh, or even that whole week, uh, the common week, uh, or funeral anniversaries, right? What's the reason that we celebrate these? As, as Lutherans and Christians today, why do we celebrate All Saints Day? To remember all of the faithful dead who have died before us. And not just the dead, but who that did something for the dead. Well, obviously, Christ. 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 Um, so we, we can look back at, at Good Shepherd and we can say, oh yeah, uh, Billy Bob Frank died and he was in the faith so we know that jesus saved him from his sins and now he's a saint in heaven what did they say in the medieval catholic church well today is all saints day so we're going to pray for billy bob frank so that hopefully someday soon he will go to heaven he'll get out of purgatory and make it the rest of the way okay again that changes Christ and all these other things that remember Christ. Um, he calls these things the specter of the devil. What's he mean when he says that? What's the devil always do? How does he work? What's he say to you even in your day-to-day -day life? Or how does he manipulate you or try to go after you? Yeah, he tries to change God's word. God's word that says Christ has died and, and because of his death you have salvation free and clear. And now all of a sudden we have inserted this idea that it's not true. There's more to it. You've got to do something also. We've, this, is, this is what Satan is always doing. All right. Let's read 13. Then also questions so far? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, a little bit of what we'll talk about here is going to address that. 
so in the next paragraph, Luther's going to talk about St. Augustine, um, whose mother asked that he remember her when he goes to the Lord's Supper. That's kind of a beginning point of its creation. But there's not like one set time where we can go back and say, here's where it came into practice. It comes out of a... Uh, how would I, How do you say it? When you ask questions that there's really no answer and you try to come up with your own understanding. So just ask the question. The vicar dies um, on the way home because of my driving. And uh, we, we know how sinful he is right now. I mean, just look at him. Sinful guy. But we know when he's in heaven, is he sinful? Is he corrupt? Is he guilty? So what happens from the moment of my bad steering and his death? It would be really sad if we die on the way home now, won't it? <laughs> Delete this recording if that happens. Um, what happens between the moment of death and his entrance into heaven that takes away his sin? What happens? How does it work? Does scripture tell us? I mean, is, is the vicar the way he is now the same way he's going to be in heaven? Not in terms of his sin. So what happens that takes that sinfulness away? We don't, we don't know. We don't have to know. God doesn't give us an answer. But we can come up with a process and think about it. We can say, well, maybe there's something that happens that takes away his sinfulness. And then we say, well, what is that thing? Maybe it's this and philosophy over hundreds of years comes up with this idea of purgatory and there's a few places in scripture that we could say well that might be what this is saying for example um god uh in um, is it peter first peter or second peter vicar um where it says uh, jesus went and preached to the souls who were um waiting uh from the date the times of moses or not moses noah you don't remember? Well, neither do I. Um, but it says that Jesus went and preached to the souls uh, in Sheol who had been waiting since the time of Noah. Maybe that's talking about people in purgatory. Maybe by Jesus' preaching, they're beginning their process of getting into heaven. I don't. That's not what that passage is about. It's about Christ's descent into hell and saying, I win, <laughs> right? Okay. Um, or one of the seminary professors, does he still say it this way? It's Jesus going down and giving Satan the finger. Is that? Okay. In Christian love. <laughs> okay. Um, better, better is the neener, neener, neener. I win, you lose. Um, but you can take those passages and twist them and manipulate them with the philosophy and the thinking and the questions about how these things happen to people. And that's how it comes about. And it's not instantaneous. It slowly builds over hundreds and hundreds of years as does all error. Which is why, what do we always need to do? Make sure we are as close to the true doctrine as possible in every aspect and never be above correction by God's word. Repent of yourself and let the word determine 
the truth. So, so I didn't really answer your question, but I kind of did. Does that? Okay. Other questions? So we'll see here in paragraph 13 uh, where he's kind of addressing some of this. Okay. So paragraph 13. The papists here quote Augustine and some of the fathers who are said to have written concerning purgatory. And they think that we do not understand for what purpose and to what end they spoke as they did. St. Augustine does not write that there is a purgatory, nor has he a testimony of scripture to constrain him thereto. But he leaves in doubt whether there is one, and says that his mother asked to be remembered at the altar or sacrament. Now, all this is indeed nothing but the devotion of men, and that, too, of individuals, and does not establish an article of faith which is the prerogative of God alone. All right. So you see here that Augustine and some of the fathers are said to have written concerning purgatory. And, and um, has anybody read Augustine's Confessions? Okay. You know, in the, the Confessions, Augustine's writing about his life and how he's sinful and um, how... Throughout his life, his mother is faithfully praying for him, but he's sinful. And then, um, you, you probably even talked about it. Do you guys have to take philosophy class still? Like an intro to philosophy? Do you talk about Augustine's confessions there? Stealing the apples from the neighbor's trees? No, but they talked about it earlier. Okay. So in some class, you'll get a little bit. If you haven't read Augustine's confessions, it's worth it. There's a few things that are not quite right. But it's a, it's a great, great writing for you to read as a Christian. Um, his mother is always kind of doting over him and praying for him faithfully. And um, right around the same time that Augustine leaves behind heresy and becomes a Christian, his mother also dies after having prayed for him for years and years and years and years. When his mother's dying, she says, when you go to the Lord's Supper, remember me. Now, purgatory would say, why is Augustine remembering her at the Lord's Supper? What's that? She's in purgatory, and he needs to pray for her so that she gets through it more quickly. Is that what Augustine means? When we have the liturgy of the Lord's Supper, what do we say right around the words of institution? Therefore, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, holy, holy. Right? With angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify God's name. What are we saying? We're saying that when we come to the Lord's table, we are in heaven. Right? Um, and lots of churches, too, have the altar... And then there's a wall, whether the altar's against the wall or not, and the rail goes like this for a reason. What's the reason that they have this wall that the altar goes all or the rail goes all the way to? 
it's, it's there because they say, on the other side of the wall, the circle keeps going. It is unbroken. And that's where the angels and the archangels and all the company of heaven are also gathered. Now, it's not to say they're in the wall. It's supposed to make you think about that reality. That your loved one who died in the Christian faith is also participating with you in heaven. In the feast of heaven. They see it fully and we see it hidden in with and under bread and wine. But that we're all at, this, at the same feast, the same joyous celebration. That's what Augustine is thinking of when he writes about his mother and says, when I go to the Lord's Supper, I remember my mom, that she's in heaven, and that I'm partaking in heaven in the Lord's Supper. But do you see how you could take a different view? How it could be, oh, yeah, look here, he's talking about purgatory, even though that's not what he's saying. Does that make sense? That's why it's important that we take the Lord's Supper seriously, too. This is completely independent of the small call called articles, because it is really heaven on earth. And the, the entire liturgy, the worship service on Sunday morning, is heaven on earth. Um, so sing loud, because the angels are singing with you. Uh, even if you sing the wrong notes. So, it'll be all right in heaven. Why did you look at me when you said that? <laughs> you said I did a good job chanting today. You, you did a good job. <laughs> you, you're the, the best singing vicar we've had in a couple years. So don't get a big head. <laughs> um, all right. How did we get there? Oh, Augustine. Augustine does not write that there's a purgatory. He's just confessing his faith in the Lord's Supper, the sacrament. Okay? And he says, um, All this indeed is nothing but the devotion of men. In other words, but rather than devotion, maybe you could say the doctrine of men. Purgatory is the doctrine of men. Um, it's not actually what Christians believe, and it's not actually what the fathers believed in. Okay? All right, questions? You guys think the vicar did okay this morning, too? There you go. See? My head can't fit any fingers. That's right. <laughs> no comment. No comment. <laughs> Are you sure you want to marry into this family? <laughs> All right. Uh, four, 14. Um, somebody want to read paragraph 14? Do you have a copy in front of you? That's okay. I don't have a spare. I'll print more off. I'll print more off. You can read along on your phone. Yep. Our papists, though, cite such human opinions so people will believe in their horrible, blasphemous, and cursed traffic in masses for souls in purgatory. But they will never prove these things from Augustine. Once they've abolished the traffic in masses for purgatory, which Augustine never dreamt of, then we can discuss whether to accept what Augustine said beyond scripture and whether the dead should be remembered at the Eucharist. Is that the end? 15? Want to do 15 then also? 
or, yeah, however. It will not do to frame articles of faith from the works or words of the Holy Fathers. Otherwise, their kind of food, clothing, houses, and such would have to become an article of faith, as was done with relics. The true rule is this. God's word shall establish articles of faith, and no one else, not even an angel, can do so. All right. So we have more discussion at the in, in paragraph 14, okay, um, whether or not Augustine is, is writing about this or not. I think what's really important here is in 15, how do we read the fathers? Because this is a problem in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod today, um, with some who read the fathers as if the fathers are authoritative. Um, that's not even quite the right word. They do have some authority, right? They are the fathers. But as if their authority is greater than the scripture. Or equal to the scripture. This is the, is this the right way to say it, Vicar? This is the Catholic position that tradition and fathers uh, are on equal footing to the scriptures. When we read the church fathers, and it's good that we do so, like I just said, if you haven't read Augustine's Confessions, read them. But don't take their word over the Bible. This, this thing that Luther says here, the rule is this, the word of God shall establish articles of faith and nothing else. And he's kind of summarizing St. Paul when St. Paul says, even if an angel said something, uh, a gospel different than the gospel we preached, don't believe it. The word of God alone establishes our theology. So when the fathers agree with it, praise God. That's great. Read the fathers and that's great. When they say something that sounds a little fishy or that doesn't agree with it, don't hang on to the words of the fathers as if they are infallible. They're sinners just like you. And just like me, when you read Augustine's Confessions, they are really good at deducing the nature of our sin and the wickedness that is within us. But Augustine is wrong in that he sees that as a necessary process for becoming a real Christian. And what I mean is this, that the sinful life is a, something you have to do before you can become a Christian. It's the same thing. When I was here, they had um, praise Tuesday evening things. Do they still have something like that? I don't, I'm not going to comment on that. But at these praise things when I was here, they always had a testimonial from somebody who would get up, a student, and they would say, you know, when I was in high school, I used to drink a lot. And I used to get drunk with my friends. And then something happened, and that changed my life so that now I've really dedicated my life to Christ. Have you ever heard a talk like that? Okay, hopefully they don't have lots of those things going on. Okay, what's the problem with that? It's saying, to be a Christian, first you have to go out and be really, really sinful, <laughs> right? Uh, lots of times those speeches are like, 
you know, I used to fornicate with my, my girlfriend a whole lot. And then I realized that that probably wasn't very good or whatever. As if the sin itself was something that's on the path to Christianity. What's the path to Christianity? Jesus dies for that sin. It's not good that you did it. Okay? Um, that's what Augustine is saying. The same thing as the testimonials. So we can read Augustine and look at how he... Uh, looks into our own hearts about sin and say, yes, I'm a sinner just like Augustine was. But we don't take that other step and say, and that's good that I sinned because that's how I became a Christian. Am I making sense? Okay, am I making sense? Okay. That's the problem with testimonials too, which is not in the small called articles, but that's the problem. It seems like that's just a hop, skip, and a jump away from uh, let us sin so that grace may abound. Which is what a lot of Christians today are saying, right? Uh, what's what's the, the the lady that's the ELCA? Nadia Weber? Have you ever heard her? How does she, what does she talk about Christianity as? You got to go be who you want to be, even if it's sinful, because the people calling it sin don't know who Jesus really is. Right? Or um, did the ELCA youth gathering the last time have a little boy who thought he was a little girl get up and give a thing saying, you know, without me be being transgender, I never really could understand who Jesus was. But now that I've embraced my identity, now I know who Jesus is. I'm summarizing off the top of my head from several years ago. So you can go look at these things. They're available. Don't, though, but you can. Okay? Or how did LeVar Burton say it? You don't have to take my word for it. You guys don't even know what I'm talking about, do you? You guys watch Reading Rainbow? Oh, yeah. Okay. Good deal. I'm not as old as I thought. We're cultured here. You're cultured. <laughs> All right, excellent. All right, the word alone establishes articles of faith. That's why you need to read your Bible, so that you make sure God's word matches what you believe. Maybe I should say it the other way. What you believe matches what God's word says. 16. So we talked about purgatory, I guess. Maybe we should just summarize. Any questions about purgatory? It takes away from Jesus. All right, let's read secondly at 16. Actually, do you know how widespread the belief in purgatory still is? From my perspective with the Catholics that I've talked to, they don't really believe in it anymore. And indulgences, while are, they're technically still a thing, they are not really as much of a thing as they were. Everybody hear Vicar's question? In my experience... The average Catholic in the United States does not believe in purgatory. But their official doctrine still says it exists. And their priests still talk about it and use it. Um, especially at funerals is when you probably will hear that discussion. Okay? And there's money involved. Yeah, definitely. I think I talked about that uh, at Absurdium. So 
Their official teaching is there is purgatory, but the average American Catholic does not believe it. Maybe it's different in Lincoln. Lincoln's a lot more strict diocese than your average um, Catholic diocese. So it's still there, lurking in the shadows. All right, 16. Secondly, from this, it, is, it has followed that evil spirits have perpetrated much kniving, knivery, exercising their malice by appearing as the souls of the departed. And what with unspeakable, horrible lies and tricks demanded masses, vigils, pilgrimages, and other alms, all of which we had to receive as articles of faith and in live accordingly and to live accordingly and the Pope confirmed this these things as also the mass and all other abominations here too there is no cannot and must not be any yielding or surrender okay here you have it in the Lutheran confessions the doctrine of ghosts, just in time for Halloween next Sunday, right? The, the theology of ghosts. What's he say? This, this has to do with purgatory, right? Because there's a belief. Um, what's the Christian belief first? When you die, you will either go to heaven or you will go to hell. And when you're there, can you get out? Right, as if you'd want to get out of heaven. Okay, um, you you're there. That's where you are. And when you're in heaven, it's not like you're. I hope this isn't offensive. You're not looking down on your loved ones, right? Thinking of them, things like that. You're in heaven. You're in bliss. You don't care about this miserable, sinful world anymore. Okay, you you love where you are, being in God's presence. But do people believe there's ghosts? Why are there ghosts? Any of your dorm rooms haunted? They say David is. I was gonna say I can't remember which one it was. David? They say David's haunted. Anybody live in David? You seen a ghost? Okay. Are I'm gonna go out on the limb here. Are there people who have seen ghosts? You've heard story. I have too. I had. Go ahead. So, pretty much, mom heard a story and she told me this um, that um, so there, so married couple, the father or the husband died, and then the husband always touched this lamp, you know, the touch lamps, mm-hmm. and and then when he died, it was touched and no one was touching it. And it was the same way as his husband, as her husband did it. Yep. And that calmed her down. Okay. Yeah, that's that's an example. I had members um, of various Lutheran churches up in North Dakota who believed they saw or heard ghosts in their house. Okay. 
What's, what does Luther say here? Are ghosts real? Maybe we should say this. Are the disturbances of ghosts possible? Yeah. Are ghosts real? No, because when you die, what happens? You go to heaven or hell. So, the disturbances that are real, what are they actually, according to what we read? Demons. Why would demons want to pretend to be someone who is dead? When you die, what's the Christian faith, according to God's word, say? When you die, you go to either heaven or hell. But if there's a ghost, what does that tell you? That God's word isn't real. Or maybe God forgets some people. Or maybe you have to stay behind until you make a videotape copy, right? And then you guys see the Ring movie. Um, it puts doubt in God's taking care of you at death. So demons masquerade as dead people to put your faith at doubt. Because confessing that your grandma, so I hope this is all right to say it this way, to say your, your grandma or your grandpa is turning on and off the light, is confessing what about God? That God lied when he said, I'm going to take Grandma to heaven, and that God forgot about him, or that God said it's more important that he stay behind and turn on and off the lamp. You see what I'm saying? And then we have that right there, okay, uh, in 16. Evil spirits perpetuate much knavery or foolishness by appearing as the souls of the departed with lies and tricks. And then he says, and then has they've demanded that the acts of the church be done on their behalf. Right? So someone comes back from the dead and says, you need to say masses for me so that I can get the rest of the way to heaven. So just in time for Halloween, are ghosts real? No. Are there people, people, are there things claiming to be them that could be real? I don't know if this is more terrifying or, or calming, <laughs> right? Um, this is then why, too, this is a really tangential, Epiphany season. You can call your pastor to come to your house and do a house blessing. There's even a right for it in the Lutheran service book. So we can come in and bless every room in your house. And it's actually a really positive thing to do. There you go. From personal experience, it does benefit you greatly. So there you go. I think that's enough. <laughs> All right, lots of blank stares. Are we making sense? You haven't seen any ghosts yet? I have not. At the same time, I've seen the benefit from it, and from those struggling. So, okay. Raise your hand up. I've heard an explanation for the ghosts, but I don't know if it's 
working with their the spirits of the dead, right? Mm-hmm. That who are we to say that God can't, um, like not not the ghost is real, but that God can't use like the image of a ghost to send like the person in his story was comforted by that. What do you think about that? Yeah. I, what I'd say is that there's no place in Scripture where that happens except for one, which is mentioned here, 1 Samuel 28. And that's Saul, uh, Saul goes to the um, necromancer, what do they call it? The Witch of Endor, right? Not with Ewoks. No, just either. <laughs> uh, the Witch of Endor. And s- instead of talking to God and says, am I going to win tomorrow? And the witch is a liar, okay? Because she says she can call up the dead, but she can't. Except when she has Saul come in, what actually happens? She calls up Samuel. And what's her response when Samuel shows up? (laughs) She's like, holy crap, it worked. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) This is not good. (laughs) Um, All of a sudden, she has a little bit of a, a reality check. Now, the, the question is, is it Samuel or is it a demon pretending to be Samuel? And there is not a good answer. And since there's not a good answer, I'm inclined to believe it's not. The argument for it actually being Samuel is that the truth is said, okay? You're going to die tomorrow, Saul, in battle. Um, now, can demons tell the truth if it benefits them to cause someone to fall out of the faith? Does Saul fall out of the faith? He's already out of the faith because who did he go to talk to? The witch of Endor instead of he's the king of Israel. He's got a whole slew of priests he can talk to. He can send someone in before the Ark of the Covenant and say, Lord, are we supposed to go to battle or not? In fact, that's what he's supposed to do. So that's the only place in Scripture where that question is perhaps raised. And my gut feeling says that it is a, a demon. Now, if it is a demon, when that person appears, is that actually comforting us in the right way with the right things? I guess that'd be my follow-up question to you. I don't, I don't know that it is. I think God gives us comfort in his promises of resurrection in the death and resurrection of Jesus, um, in his word, in the hymns that we sing, and in the knowledge that, like, my grandma and my grandpa are with Christ. And one day I'll be with Christ. And that's that's where our comfort should be. So does that kind of... Okay, that was a really long answer for a simple question. That's, that's a pastor for... Did you have your arm up too? You were going to ask that same question? Okay. That'd be my gut reaction. Can God do that? God can do what God wishes. But God also puts himself in a box so that we always know where to find him. In the word and in the sacraments. Okay. Other questions? All right, let's do pilgrimages here then to... uh, Let's do, we'll do paragraphs 18 through 20. Pilgrimages. 
Here, too, masses, the remission of sins, and the grace of God were sought, for the mass controlled everything. Now it is indeed certain that pil such pilgrimages, without the word of God, have not been commanded us, neither are they necessary. Since we can have these things, the soul can be cared for in a better way, and can omit these pilgrimages without any sin and danger. Why, therefore, did they leave at home, desert their own parish, their called ministers, their parishes, the word of God, wives, children, etc., who are ordained and attention to whom is necessary and has been commanded, and run after these unnecessary, uncertain, pernicious will, will of the wisps of the devil. Unless the devil was writing, made insane, the Pope, causing him to praise and establish these practices, whereby the people again and again revolted from Christ to their own works and became idolaters, which is worst of all. Moreover, it is neither necessary nor commanded, but it is senseless and doubtful, and besides harmful. Hence, here too, there can be no yielding or surrendering. To yield or concede anything here is not lawful, etc. <clears throat> and let this be preached, that such pilgrimages are not necessary, but dangerous, and then see what will become of them. For thus they will perish of their own. All right, pilgrimages, what does he mean by a pilgrimage? Yes, if you travel to Jerusalem, so many years are taken off your time in purgatory. Uh, if you travel to Rome, right, this is the one Luther did. The Luther movie, the newer one, kind of depicts that a little bit. If you walk up these stairs on your knees and pray uh, something on each step, then you get so many years taken off of purgatory. Uh, or if you... Uh, go and uh, touch the, if you go to Jerusalem, they have an anointing stone that the body of Christ was supposedly anointed on before it was put in the tomb. And it sits there and people kneel down and they kiss it and they, uh, you know, they rub their shirts on it so they can take a shirt home and give it to their sick uncle. I'm not even joking that that sort of stuff happens. Um, that if you do this, then you are getting salvation for yourself or for someone in some sort of a way. That's not true. And he says it hurts your faith and that it actually undermines the teaching of Christ. Now, can you go and visit these places? Can you go to Rome? Can you go see those steps? Can you uh, go to Jerusalem and go in the Church of the Nativity or the Church of the uh, Holy Sepulcher or any of those sites? Absolutely. And it is a good thing to do so, so long as you're doing it for the sake of understanding Christ and the history that is contained in your Bible as true. But if you're doing it believing that you're earning for yourself by going there, that's completely wrong. Good news is you're an American, so when you go, you probably won't go for the right reason or the wrong reason uh, in that way okay but then there's other issues that's yeah well um, I'd say a really 
huge place that that comes from is the Crusades. And so I think, uh, ask Dr. Phillips about it, because um, to start the Crusades, um, I can't remember what pope it was, preached a sermon that said, if you go and help liberate um, Jerusalem from the horrendous Turks, that you will be doing a good work that will get you out of purgatory. Because what's the Pope's perspective? Is he actually concerned liberating Jerusalem for, for Christianity? What's his main concern? Yes. Best, the best defense is sometimes a good offense. Um, the, the Byzantine emperor did ask them to come. He's thinking power. He's thinking money. He's thinking of moving the fight somewhere else. But the way that you sell it is you say, you'll get time off of purgatory. And who are you saying it to? To the knights. Are the knights nice guys? What's the knight's job? Pillage, rape, conquer, kill, murder, right? And that's what they do all day long, okay? It's not just like um, uh, King Arthur and the Sword and the Stone, you know, where uh, we're just going to joust all day long. They actually went around fighting and killing people. And so you're telling those people, if you don't want to go to hell for all your fighting and killing and raping and pillaging, if you go conquer Jerusalem and make that Christian again, then you can get into heaven easier. So I'd say it starts there. There's money to be made at it too. Money always is behind everything. So there you go. Okay.